a lot of it is just about being at the right place at the right time. And ultimately, it's about getting lucky. But I think being lucky by just continuously putting yourself out there and and making sure when you do that, it's a positive experience for whoever you're dealing with. Who doesn't love a story about someone who starts something on their own and grows that into a business that employs a bunch of people and has offices uh, in different cities around the world? Um, it's it's super impressive. And, and today's guest is Hallie from Weno. He's the founder of Weno, uh, one of the most followed teams on Dribble, um, and they have offices in San Francisco, New York. Los Angeles and Iceland, which is where Hallie's from. And I think his story uh, really resonates as sort of an inspirational, when you put your mind to it, you can create something, something amazing. And um, it was really great talking with him about, you know, his journey in creating Weno from himself in Iceland and, and now uh, he's based in San Francisco, and they have employees all over the all over the world. And they're working with some incredible, uh, incredible people, incredible clients: Google, Reuters, Apple, Facebook, Uber, ESPN, Red Bull, Airbnb. You know, crazy stuff. They're doing uh, top notch work. A lot of great talent there, um, and I think you're going to enjoy this chat with Hallie uh, just to get the story behind Weno uh, and and his path. Uh, to get to where he is today. Today's episode is brought to you by Wix.com. Push the limits of design and start creating beautiful, impactful websites that are uniquely yours with Wix. We'll be hearing more about Wix later on in this episode. Uh, But for now, let's get on to the main event. Uh, I'm not even going to try to attempt to pronounce Hallie's full name um, because I know I will get it wrong. And uh, I think he he uh, understands that, and uh, we're just going to refer to him as Hallie, uh, and Hallie from Weno, uh, wonderful, uh, humble uh, man, and, and just a, a pleasure to talk to him. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Hallie. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've been um, been using Dribble for a while, for a long time, and I've listened to a lot of these, so I'm very happy to be here. Oh, that's great. That's awesome to hear. And yeah, you have been on Dribble a long time. Yeah. Uh, 2012, and, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 2012. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, that's, that's, I mean, you could almost look at that as like a short period of time to go from, you know, where you were to what you are now. And I think that, like, this is a super cool story. I'm going to start off by just asking, like, where you're from and how you started to get into this. Like, how, how do you started? Bueno, and I should preface that by saying, am I pronouncing it correctly? I think I am. It's Bueno without the e, without the B. Yeah, right? that's yeah, that's pretty good. I, I uh, when I picked the name, I I wasn't expecting people to have the hard time with it, <clears throat> but I I actually quite enjoy yeah. <laughs> all the different variations that people use. So it's kind of like, <laughs> like my name. Nobody knows how to say it, and I I think it's that's part of the fun. But yes, yeah. Well, well actually, yeah. I'll start there too, because so Hallie for short. But yes, that's not your. That's not your uh, given name. No, the the full name is Haraldur Inki Thorleifsson, and and the joke I typically say after that is, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> I love it. 
Uh, I, yeah. I'm not laughing at the no. name. I'm laughing because it's amazing. I think it's like, uh, I wish I had a name that that was that interesting because it, it looks a lot different uh, written down as well. Yes. Like it, from what you just said. Yeah. It's, is that because of Icelandic or? It is. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, well, to me, it sounds exactly like, it. like obviously coming from Iceland, it, right. it looks, right. it looks and sounds the same. But when I, when you see um, a foreigner read it or someone from America, they, yeah, they definitely put, the, um, their own spin on it. And it's usually the, a very similar spin, but typically I would go by Halle. Halle, that's, then that's nice and simple. Yeah, yeah. Whatever name you go by, I want to use. Yeah, so that's, so that's what my that. wife calls me and my dad. So, so that works. So you're from, you're, you're from Iceland. Then, yes. Which is awesome. I'm actually, as an aside, I'm planning a trip for the first time in July to Iceland and I'm very 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 excited I think especially within the design community I think everyone is is planning a trip or it just came back from Iceland that seems that is true that seems to be a thing Iceland to me as an as an American someone that's grown up in New England really you know I it does seem exotic and in a in a very interesting way and and uh, I actually I did land there on a trip to Sweden and I remember saying, where are all the trees? You know, because there wasn't many trees there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not to turn this into a completely Icelandic the, the, uh, tourism the airport, chat. The airport but. is basically built where, um, on, on a bunch of lava. So when you, if you, la- if you uh-huh. land there and if you drive into the city, you don't really see a bunch of trees. So it's a very interesting entrance uh, yeah. into, into the country. Yeah. It really is. What, what was it? So, uh, you know, what was it like growing up in Iceland and, and how did you get into design? I mean, I do, I do see a lot of design and architecture and, and, um, uh, and that kind of thing with, with Iceland. There's a, it seems like there's a strong design presence in the country, but, um, I wonder if you could tell us if that's true and, and then, you know, sort of how, how you brought up, were brought up and, and got into design. Yeah. We, um, so Iceland, I think is a very safe space to grow up. It, it is a very safe country. It also is a country that has um, a lot of socialized programs, so anyone can have access to, uh, everyone has access to the same schools um, all the way up to, you know, the university is free. And I think that's, you know, probably one of the main reasons why, uh, mm-hmm. if anything, that uh, a country like that is successful because everyone um, has this opportunity. So my family was definitely on the the lower income side but i i had all the same opportunities that someone that you know might, might have more money so the i mm. i went to school in iceland i um just went through the, the the normal school system when i was younger and then when i went to uh, university i started by i didn't really know what to do so i i went to study engineering um, constructural engineering and I uh, after about three days of doing that I was already you know a few weeks behind so I thought that uh, I don't really have the, the passion to do this um, I just picked it because I needed to pick something and a friend of mine had just started uh, studying philosophy and I said well, thought to myself you know I don't really have a plan I might just switch majors uh, and go to philosophy for at least a year while I figure this out. So I did that, and after a year, I hadn't really figured anything out, and I thought I need to do something more practical. 
another friend of mine had started to study business and finance and I thought, well, that's fine. I'll just do that then. So I, I did that. I went into finance, finished that, then went back and finished the, the philosophy major. And, and then I wasn't really sure what to do after that. So I went to study, uh, took a master's in economics. And same thing happened with uh, that as the, as the engineering is I thought I don't really have the passion here, but I, I kind of finished it anyway um, because I felt I needed to. But I didn't feel like... Uh, do the, the full dissertation. So I took the classes and everything, but didn't never really completed it. Right, right. And then I was still wondering, I was maybe about 20, I don't know, 25 at this point. I was still really wondering what to do and I, I wanted to study something else. So I started to study development on sort of how to work with uh, developing countries. And that was interesting as well, but I didn't really find myself there. Um, but I kind of missed a part of the story. So when I was studying business, there was a class... Uh, and I was about maybe about 22 at that time. There was a class on how to make a website. And this, um, I'm, I'm 40 right now. So this would be about 18 years ago. Um, some, something like around the 2000s. And yeah, yeah. we had to make a, a simple website uh, for a class, so, so some IT class. It was like uh, the project of the week. And I thought it was just very interesting to me how to do that. And from there, I started to experiment. I found Flash pretty quickly. And I thought I was more interested in um, the development side of it, the engineering side of it. But after I, I played with it, the, and the more I played with it, I, I thought I actually really liked the animations of it. I really liked the designing aspect of it. And I really liked the content side of it as well. So in Flash, um, uh, you know, I, I do miss Flash for for some reasons. It was terrible for some reasons. But <laughs> what it gave someone like me was just a very, very easy way to get into all these different things because there wasn't a, a the learning curve was quite low and I could experiment really quickly with a lot of different types of things and I didn't have to know you know a lot of things to really just do it and I yeah. could actually just launch a website in flash on my own completely and so I did I did um, mm. did that for a while where I was while I was studying I, I kind of over time, after about a year in, I, I started to pick on some project work here and there. And I thought I could sort of use this as a way to make a little bit of money. Um, I decided I didn't want to take any student loans um, or anything like that. Or I wanted to make sure that I, when I came out of school, I was, I was debt free. And so I, I, that was kind of what I was doing. I, was, I thought I, I can do this. This is interesting um, and it can support me, but I don't, you know, this is definitely not a career. And then over time, as I was looking for the, the real career, I just kept doing this to sustain myself. And I, I started a, a little agency in Iceland that didn't go so well. Um, we had some, we had a sort of the managing partner there was, was not the nicest person. So he, he kind of swindled me and the other partner a little bit. I was young and naive. I went through that phase that, that caused some some financial issues, so I had to dig myself out of that hole. I kind of, I kind of want to rant here, but I don't know. I don't know really know where I'm going with this story. Anyway, what <laughs> happened was um, now I'm a great designer. <laughs> fast forward to fast forward to now, which yes. is all true, by the way. Yes, uh, but I think it's what's what's amazing. I'm listening to you, and I mean, I sort of have a similar path, and that it I I didn't really know I was a designer until until much later, and. 
in life, but but um, you, you tried a lot of different things until until the web kind of grabbed you and, and Flash particularly. Was it the visual end of Flash too that that you were interested in, or it was? Um, I thought for a long time I thought it was the animation, and yeah. I still actually really enjoy the animation side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't really do that that much anymore. But I started working with some designers and I thought, you know, that's a profession. Uh, I need to like find some professional designers to work with. Uh, and I would just be frustrated with their output or, or you know, started to get very, very nitpicky with what they were doing. And I, I quickly started to design things on my own mm-hmm. as well. Most, mostly out of frustration with the, the teams that yeah. I was working with. And also just wanting to try and learn how to figure this out myself. Yeah. So basically, self-teaching yourself. Uh, uh, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, I think I think there's a lot of ways to become a designer, but I I, I do. There's definitely a lot of value uh, in people that go the direct path of going straight into design school. But I do think that what these all these different paths got me was just a different take on design from a business perspective, um, through philosophy on, on some of the, the ideas that, that go into something. So it was, it was never really purely, uh, aesthetical for me, which then once, when it became more about product design later on, uh, all started to sort of come together in a way that made sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense. Cause you mentioned, um, you know, finance, you're into business, engineering, like literally engineering, not, uh, computer engineering yeah. and then um, all those things. So you, you feel like all of those paths have helped you get to where you are now. I think so. It was, it was, de- yeah, I think it's, it was definitely not planned. Uh, but I think that's the inter- interesting part of being alive is, is somehow it all starts to make sense um, later <laughs> on. Yeah. Somehow you, fi- you find your way. And for me, it took a long time. It wasn't until I was about 35 yeah. or so when I, when I first thought, you know, I, I was, I was designing for all this time, but I was also, uh, I took a phase where I was just a full blown, um, alcoholic and I was, I was drunk pretty much to the day for about five years. And after I sobered up, I really, uh, I was about 35 and I thought I need to, um, take this seriously. And, and that's where, that was some of the seeds of why I wanted to join Dribble. Um, and then ultimately that led to me starting Bueno. Wow. Oh wow, that's that's amazing. So, yeah, tell us about that part. So, you, you know, you've been on Dribble for since 2012. You mentioned, um, but it was, you know, did you did you start as Weno at that point, and it was just you in in Iceland, or no? So, 2012, I started. The first thing I did when I I decided to take design seriously as a career was I talked to some designers because I I, I wasn't really in the community that much, uh, even though I had been doing this for a long time. So I talked to some designers about, you know, where they're spending their time and people more and more, I mean, there were definitely people that mentioned Behance, but a lot of the people were saying, you know, pushing me towards Dribble. And what I really liked about it was just the, the quickness of it. It's sort of like the, the Twitter of design. You can just put something out really quickly and, you know, I don't have to put a lot of work into it. It gets seen by a lot of people. And, I just really like that. But then I also started to work on my portfolio for my per, sort of my personal portfolio. So over from 2012 to 20 sort of late 2014, I think I, it was just under my own name. Um, I built up, um, 
a decent following by sort of taking it relatively seriously. And, and then by, by 2014, I thought, well, I kind of just want to keep doing this, but I think if I, if I give it a, uh, if I, uh, I make this sound like it's an agency, people will pay me more money <laughs> and, yeah. and they it's will take thing. me more, take me more seriously. Yeah, and they will take me more seriously because I had already been working with a lot of bigger clients. I've been freelancing at this point for about you know for about seven years in total, even though most of them were kind of a blur. And but and the the clients were quite big. I was working a lot with clients like Google. I had worked with Square and a bunch of them um, while I was in Iceland. Mm. And and so I had a decent portfolio and a decent sort of client list that I could then use to to leverage into getting more and more work like that. And, and so I started Weno and I think th- the thinking at that time was I would, um, t- basically just keep doing whatever it is that I was doing, but I would be using freelancers to sort of augment myself, which is what I had been doing when I was freelancing myself. So it was just sort of an extension of what I would all been doing. Um, but then about a year into that, I realized I, I wanted to do something more. So about three years ago, we hired our first our first people and and then it's sort of grown from there. Wow. So in only three years now you've grown massively, right? I mean, I see on the dribble team alone, you've got 21, oh, sorry, 28 members. Uh, that's there's about, that's yeah, there's, there's about 60 people overall across wow. the whole team. Wow. And yeah, probably about half of them almost on dribble. That's incredible. Uh, uh, and so how, I don't want this to turn into a marketing-y thing for Dribble, but like, <laughs> we have but, to I, but I will, <laughs> yeah. but I will. Um, yeah. But I, cause I, I know that you, you've mentioned that it, it was helpful. And um, I wonder, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how, how it was helpful, in, especially in the beginning or and um, getting started. Uh, it was helpful for me for a number of reasons. I think when I started in 2012 on Dribble, like I said, I had already been designing a bunch of things. But I, I, I wouldn't say that I was a really good designer because I'd never really taken it seriously and it was never something that I sort of, yeah, really took on as something that would be a full-time thing. Yeah, And yeah. it was, so there's a few different pieces to it. So partly it was about education. It, it really helped uh, me grow my aesthetic sense um, by just looking at all the work that other people were doing. Mm. And then once I... I had a, a better sense for that. It would also just, I, I, I got exposed to a lot of different types of things. So I hadn't been doing a lot of product work up, at the, up until that point. I got, uh, got really into that. I was uh, got much more into branding because a lot of the work that I've been doing up until that was sort of more uh, marketing, communication, websites, and so on. And it, it, it sort of opened up for me uh, a new world of possibilities. And then... Um, I used that as a way to learn how to do these things as well. And and quickly that became a way for me to then share some of the work that I, w- I was doing with, with the clients. And um, then it became uh, a tool for me to get more work. So it w- was really, um, it, it helped in, in many different ways. So mm. well well done on, on building that. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that it's been useful, especially from, from you and uh and from the Weno team, which has really become legendary around, especially around the Dribble office. You know, it's like we're, you guys have been, uh, have been doing some, pumping out some incredible work. 
um, which, you know, to fast forward, you know, way forward uh, here, you know, you, you're, you've worked with some incredible clients, right? Like Slack and Reuters and ESPN and Lonely Planet, Red Bull, like all a Dropbox and every, you know, how, if we were to distill this down, because we only have, you know, an episode here, an hour episode or whatever yeah. to talk about advice for someone starting their own agency like you have and getting to the level that that you are at currently with 60 employees and everything you know what i wonder if there's any this might be a tough question because i know i <laughs> yeah I, I think it's it is it is a complicated question i think a lot of the reasons why it actually worked was the situation where i was in where i was um growing up growing up in a country that had uh free education and it, mm. it allowed me to, to really explore like many things and and being sort of adrift for a while um, was actually quite helpful. And then when it came to actually starting the agency, I had a lot of the tools, even though I didn't know I had them. Uh, I had a lot of the tools already. So that right. so it definitely is a short time in, when you think about it, it's three years, but I think it's ultimately um, almost like a you know a forty year story. Um, yeah, right, right. So I think it's um, it might be a little bit too simple to think about it in those ways. It was also, like I said, I was freelancing for seven years, and through that, I built up a lot of contacts and experience and how to work with clients. Um, but when it came down to actually starting it, I think there are a few key things. So one is um, bigger companies really want to work with um, someone, an agency, a freelancer, or whatever that has a proven track record of working with bigger companies. So that becomes a huge catch 22. Um, right, and I was right. lucky, I, I was lucky enough that, um, in, in 2007, I moved to New York and I worked with an agency there that was doing some fantastic works called Cuban council. Uh, it later got oh, uh, yeah. sold, sold to Google and was a small agency and they were doing really, you know, oh, Cuban councils. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Top level client right. work. Yeah, and uh, makers of K10K, one yes. of my uh, all-time favorite websites back in yeah. the late the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, there, so I already had um, you know a little bit of that experience. I kind of you know fucked that up um, because I was I was a drunk at the time, but uh, I um, I did manage to get something out of it. I, I did manage to get some good work out of it for a portfolio, and I did manage to find good relationships. And one of them. Later on, started his own agency. Um, a friend of mine, um, Phil, he started an agency called Uppercot, and he really helped uh, me because he would have Google as one of his big clients. So he would feed me a lot of Google work. And so when it came down for me, mm-hmm. it came time for me to start branching out on my own and having, um, I, I had a portfolio of work, especially with Google and some other clients that I could say uh, to potential new bigger, new big clients of saying like, "Look, I can do this. I've done this. Here's." you know, how that works. Here's how we did that. Yeah. And so, yeah. so slowly over time, once you get a few, the more of those you have under your belt, uh, the more people are going to get comfortable with you because it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's a lot of, uh, you know, if you're working at a bigger company, you're, you're putting a lot of trust into someone. Um, you're putting your reputation on the line. You're putting a lot of money on the line of who you pick to do something. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah. you know, they're typically not inclined to take huge risks. So they want someone that they know that um, well, they have a fair level of comf- comfort that they can already do this. 
So like yeah. I, so like I yeah. said, it's really about getting those first few ones, trying to get your foot in the door, and slowly over time. I mean, you're you're not going to go for the big projects, over, you know, straight away. You're you're going to have to build up to it over a long period of time. Yeah, that that resonates with me too. And, and back when I was doing client work, and uh, you know, you never know. You could be on a project with with a company, and you never know who that who that person that you're working with how they're going to progress, and they might be at uh, a larger company in a couple of years, and they might remember working with you and, and call you up for that. I know that happened to me a few times, and it kind of comes back to re- relationships, right? Like you said, uh, that that that's super important. It's it's the most random things that that pop up. Like um, you know what we 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 have clients that have come in. In all sorts of ways, through someone you would meet randomly at a place, and you said, "You know, this is nothing," and then all of a sudden that becomes a two-year project. Uh, yeah. Or, no, um, you know, you post something on a place like Dribble or on Twitter, and somebody sees it, and they're, you know, that sparks some idea. You know, people's uh, thought processes are are quite random, so it, it's it's a lot of if, if a lot of it is just about being at the right place at the right time, and and. Ultimately, it's about getting lucky, but I think you're also uh, being lucky by just continuously putting yourself out there and and make, yeah. making sure when you do that it's a positive experience for whoever you're dealing with. Yeah, that's great advice because uh, you never know what, where people are going to end up and what they might have for you. This week's episode is brought to you by Wix.com. With Wix, the web is your playground. Start with a blank slate and design your website in any layout you want. Work with advanced features like retina-ready image galleries, custom font sets, and sophisticated design effects. Each feature is intuitive to use, so you're in control from design to live. With Wix, you'll have real creative freedom to tell your story online, exactly the way you've envisioned it. Push the limits of design and start creating beautiful, impactful websites that are uniquely yours. Go to Wix.com slash Dribble to get started today. That's W-I-X.com slash Dribble. Wix, what will you create? Do you find that uh, as you've gotten you know, successful and you've, you've, as an agency you've worked with all these different clients, have you found that you're able to choose the the work that you more want to work on and not just not just because they're a large company but maybe because the project is interesting um i think it, it depends on how you want to build what you're doing so i think there's definitely people that want to have a small practice or a um just be a very strong freelancer and then over time because they're you know the capacity isn't there they will get very selective of who they work with and they will only pick, you know, they will sort of cherry pick the projects. What I want to do with the agency is, um, I want to, I want to grow. So we will definitely, um, focus on finding good clients. But beyond that, we have to be at a place where we can service their needs, even though some of them are not the ones that are the most inspiring to us, because we need to be a place where, where mm-hmm. a company can come to and just rely on us delivering no matter what their need is at the time. And and some of those projects might be big and exciting. Some of them are, to some people, maybe not as exciting, but, um, but, but drive a lot of value for those companies. And we need to be sort of cognizant of that. It's, it's not really about us. If we, if we make yeah. it all about us, we're, you know, 
we're not going to be able to keep these bigger clients. Yeah, so it, does, it doesn't end then in terms of like, you know, maintaining those relationships. Uh, it's not like you get to a point where, okay, now I can just goof off and <laughs> we can do whatever we want. No, I think it, it uh, especially <laughs> if you, if you grow up an agency, um, you know, the bigger it gets, the more, the more responsibility you have of delivering because reputation can go away really fast. So you have to make sure that um, you keep delivering on every project, that every project is as positive as, uh, uh, as possible in terms of how you deal with these people. And yeah, so it, no, it definitely doesn't get easier. It gets a lot harder. <laughs> it gets harder. <laughs> yes. The stakes are higher, more, more people involved. Yeah. And- There's a lot of peop- people on the line. Um, I mean, you know, with 60 people, some of them with families, you know, you can't really yeah. just take on the project that interests you at the moment have to pay some pay people and they're gonna have to you know they're gonna have to eat yeah absolutely no that's kind of how humans work it is the, the food the food I, lo- I love food uh <laughs> and so i i, I hear what you're saying <laughs> i completely agree uh so i just i look at the the amount of work that winnow has done and it's just uh it's really impressive in what you've built in do you miss working by yourself or are you happy in the, in the role that you have now with, with Wino? There's definitely days when, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, potential stress involved in having, like I said, 60 people that rely on you for, for food. Um, and so, uh, there's definitely days when you think, you know, why am I doing this? It was a lot easier at one point, but for me, the rewards are, are huge uh, at the same time. So, I would say uh, on a day-to-day basis, it depends. Overall, when I look back, I'm very happy with what we've done and I'm really happy with what we're doing. And mm, so I wouldn't, yeah. uh, I, wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade places, although I wouldn't mind getting some of the comforts of working um, from home alone and not really having some of the responsibilities. Mm, yeah. yeah, that, but that, that relates it, to another question I had actually about location and was there you know this sort of decision to come to the US and, and open offices here uh as opposed to staying in, in Iceland or w- was that necessary to grow the business do you think or what was the thinking there I think so um I moved to New York 2006 I was there for about a year and then I went to Iceland um was just sort of working from home mostly um and drinking for a long time and then in 2012, the same year I actually started um, the Dribble account, we had uh, a daughter. I got married, and me, my wife, and our daughter, we all moved to Tokyo. And, oh, wow. And that started off uh, a few-year period where we, we lived in, in different cities, usually for about three to six months. So we, we were in Tokyo, and then we were in Vancouver and Portland, um, went to... Wow. Um, who lived in uh, Buenos Aires and Rio and then Barcelona. And, and so there was uh, a period of time where I, I sort of did that and I was freelancing uh, at the time and um, came back to Iceland to start the agency and the, the first offices there. But I, all of my clients pretty much were here in San Francisco. And, and it was very clear to me very soon that if I, if I wanted to take this seriously, I had to move to San Francisco. 
and I had to uh, set up an office here to do that because uh, you know working remotely is 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 great, and that's what I did for a long, long time. But it, it it does have its limits as to what kind of relationship you can build with people. Hmm. Um, yeah, and, and at least for me, I found that just being in the same space as our clients um, just made all yeah, the difference. Was beneficial for you. Um, that's fascinating, though. Yeah. So you you have a, a young daughter, and you're able to kind of live a nomadic life for a while, moving around. Yeah, that was that was great. Yeah, how. Yeah, it sounds it sounds great, or or possibly stressful a little bit too. But for me, I'm I'm then again I'm I'm a little bit paranoid about everything. So, um, <laughs> yeah. but do do you find that traveling is necessary for creativity or you know or helpful or yeah? I mean, how was that experience? I think traveling ultimately makes you see the world is very complex in, in one in one way, but also very simple. Um, and so the more you travel, the more you see the same patterns over and over again, mm-hmm. um, especially with people, especially with people, um, you know, there might be quirks in, e- in each, in each country, in each region, but ultimately everyone is kind of looking for the same thing. And, and, and so that, that brings you a lot of, um, just sort of overall understanding. I think it also, for me, when it comes to time to start the agency, I, I did realize that I wanted to have a place that was uh, both really multicultural. So we have, out of the 60 people we have, there's about 25 different nationalities. And I also very quickly decided that I want to have multiple offices because I wanted us to be ultimately long-term, not a San Francisco agency or an Icelandic or European agency, but more of a global agency because once you've traveled a little bit, you also start to realize how small the world is. So these obstacles become, you know, less frightening the more you do it. And it becomes, you know, once you move to a country a few different times, you start to realize, well, that's not that different from opening up an office somewhere. You know, if you just go for it and do it, you'll figure it out. It will all come together. So I don't know if it if it taught me anything about design in particular, but uh, it did really help me shape the company that I wanted to ultimately create. Yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, I just another thing came to mind too, and uh, you know, you your team is 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 very. I mean, on Dribble and elsewhere, it's very visible and known, and uh, has a lot of visibility. And do you find that? There's there's pressure there because of that visibility, and and a, a follow up to that would be: Do you find as an agency is it difficult to navigate design trends because of that that visibility you have? I think, yeah, um, I'm not sure how to answer that. I think beyond the, the the second part of the question, I think there's definitely in every you know in whatever anyone does no matter what they say they're always going to be influenced by trends and i think to a degree we certainly are but i i what i try and tell people is to stay away from from being too trendy because once you do that you you date yourself really quickly and um yeah you look at it and anything that is too trendy and i think maybe fashion is a good example if if you look at something like the the 80s and you had a time where I mean, fashion is kind of one of these things that's kind of invisible. So when, when you're in it, 
you don't know you don't notice yeah. it but then yeah. a, a few yeah. a few years later you look back and say what you know what the fuck uh, <laughs> what, 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 what was everyone wearing and why didn't anyone yeah. didn't anyone speak up um and, and i true. think and i think in design it's the same but it's just uh because of the way it works it's it's even more compressed uh, in terms of timeline. So what's trendy now will look really, really old in six months. So I, I try to ask our people to not, um, you know, if you I think Dribble, for example, is a great place to sort of start to see where a trend is becoming something that yeah. isn't, isn't helpful. When, when you start to see the same designs popping up over and over mm -hmm. again, you sort of start to see, okay, this is, this is definitely something that we should not be exploring. Um, <laughs> this is a place that's just oversaturated. And again, I keep going back to, you know, the longevity of it. You ideally you want to design something that can stand the test of time. And the best place, best way to do that is not get hung up or focus on, on, on trendiness of it. I don't know if that answered your question, but this is absolutely something I, I think about a lot. Yeah, no, it, it did. I, I, I totally agree too. And I, I also agree that dribble is interesting for uh, not to get marketing again, but um, uh, dribble is interesting for keeping a pulse on those trends. Uh, I actually think we we get criticized for that a bit, but I I think it can be helpful in a way. And and they do change. I mean, they they change and trends come and go. It's pretty fascinating to me. But I think you you know Weno is in an interesting position because you so visible and popular and well followed everywhere that I, you know, I just, I wonder maybe you're, you're not as focused on that and you're just focused on doing the work. Right. And then letting that speak for itself. But it, from the outside, it, it, it looks like, how, you know, how, that's a lot of pressure, you know, how do they, how do they I handle think that? Internally? Yeah, there is a lot of pressure. Um, I think for someone that's starting out, I think it's becomes a little bit overwhelming, but I do think that, yeah, the pressure creates great results. Putting people in a place where we expect a lot of them, uh, even young people, designers that haven't done uh, a whole lot sometimes before they join, of really quickly expecting them to be able to deliver really high quality work makes them understand that, yeah, it's really on them to do that. And and a lot of the times what happens is people just really surprise you. They They just take off really fast. But but also yeah it's it's yeah. It definitely then is stressful yeah. I think growth um, uh, both in terms of us as an agency but also in terms of humans I think it's it's not easy to grow it's not easy to change mm. and adapt yourself um, it's very comfortable to just stay stay the same and do what you're doing it is so we definitely look for people that that want to um, grow and I think it's in one of our values is is sort of you know when when you look back on your time here we want to really people to think you know who was this person a, a few years ago and and hopefully look back at that and say you know i i can't believe how much i've grown here yeah now that's i think that's uh that's a it's a good place to to stop on a positive note too and i think <laughs> <laughs> i can get negative if, if you want <laughs> no, no that's all right <laughs> that's all right i think we need some some positivity anyway um okay so I, I, yeah, thanks so much, Hallie, for, for being here and, and for doing what you're doing and for sharing uh, a little bit behind the scenes there. And congrats on all the, the growth and success. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And I still remember the first shot I, I put on Dribble. Ooh, it ooh. was, 
I, I, I made a um, piece of work for my home. It was a map of the world. And I used uh, these little pearly beady things to put it together. It was, it was about 70,000 individual beads that I put each by hand together. Wow. And I posted that on Dribble, and you were the first uh, person that commented. <laughs> so I, I, I thought, well, that's great. Like the founder of the place <laughs> likes the thing that I made. So that was, that was, that was a nice positive moment that I still remember. Oh, so thank you for that's that. That's awesome. I, uh, is the shot still up? I wonder if it's still viewable. I, I actually have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need to look it up. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll find it. Yeah. If it is, we'll find it. That's so cool. Um, wait, 70,000 beads. My God. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge map. It's it covers like a a wall in my home. Wow. Okay. Wow. Uh, do you still do do any of that bead bead work these days? Or <laughs> no, probably too uh, much that time. Was, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was uh, so. When I um, one of my I think um, for good or bad, one of my traits is I I really go all in on things. So it it manifests in different ways. So like one of the ways it manifests was, you know, when I started drinking, I just drank every day. Um, when somebody introduced me to beads, I did that for a little bit and then very quickly set myself a goal of, I'm going to make uh, this huge wall piece of it. And then I was just done with it um, because it, it was about a um, hundred hours of, of work total. Wow. So wow. I, I don't think I've, I've, I've touched the bead since. <laughs> Wow. Well, that that means it's uh, that shot is extra special. So we're gonna have to find that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So cool. Well, yeah. Thanks again, Hallie, and uh, keep up the awesome work over there. And we'll be following you. Okay. Thank you so much, Dan, and, and we'll talk soon. Hopefully, we can meet in person. Okay. That that would be phenomenal. Awesome. Okay. See you, Hallie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This has been Overtime, Dribble's official podcast. I'm Dan Cederholm, and thanks for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again. Thanks again.